This side of me, the Salvadorian side, was dormant. Was not dead, was dormant. Estamos haciendo lo de corazón a puro pulmón. Nosotros estamos financiando este movimiento. We're in the middle of North and South America. Everyone goes through here. Everyone. Este país no es la violencia que le, que le enseñan afuera. Volver a conectar con estos millones de salvadoreños que viven fuera eh, sería increíble para todos los artistas. Somos Arte, una industria. The first episode of a docu-series documenting a contemporary art movement in El Salvador coming July 15th, exclusively on Vimeo. For new music, upcoming events, and Normandy Records merchandise, visit our website at normandyrecords.com. Thanks for listening to the Normandy Records podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Normandy Records podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't yet, please subscribe and please follow. Share with your friends and give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot. Um, I hope you all had a great weekend and I hope that you're all safe. Uh, you know, I don't, there's a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, you know, preserving your mental health and taking care of your mental health is always important. I will always, always, always say that no matter what, even if we're in regular times, uh, it still should be a priority. Uh, but yeah, I hope you all doing well. Um, today's guest is Caesar, who manages a page called Salvi Raised, uh, which is a Salvadoran American content. Um, it's more of a platform. You know, I noticed that when he posts things that a lot of people go into the comments to, uh, discuss and just, you know, validate a lot of the things and, and, and just create a community around these conversations. So it's very cool to get to talk to him about not only the page, but also his uh, his musical experiences, uh, getting to see Rage Against the Machine live, which I find incredible. Um, it was a very cool conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks again to Caesar for coming on to the podcast. Just another just a little side note here with the label. we If you haven't followed the, our documentary page at Somos Arte DOC, that's Somos Arte Doc on Instagram or pretty much any platform, that's our handle. Check it out. Follow us. We're about to release uh, a free episode this upcoming week and then our official concept episode the following week, which will be on Vimeo. Uh, we've been working on this for about two years now. We're very excited. Um, during quarantine, we had a lot of time and we put together a little free webisode uh, because we always get the question, how did you guys start this project? What made you want to start this project? So we took all the free time that we had and we made a little 13, 14 minute webisode um, that explains all of that. And that's going to be on YouTube. That's coming this week. But the following week, Vimeo, the official first episode of the series is going to be up for rental. So please keep an eye out for that. Please, please share 
please we want this to keep going we did not just for us but for the people involved the artists um it's a super cool initiative and again follow us somos out of the dock on instagram twitter facebook uh whatever platform you like um so again thank you thank you all for listening i appreciate you all i love you all take care and enjoy this episode Caesar, welcome to the Normandy Records podcast. How are you, man? I'm good. How how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, as I said, you are the creator of Salvi Raised. How would you describe Salvi Raised to someone who's never heard of it? When I started Salvi Raised, um, I had just one thing in mind, and it was basically... I wanted to put a spotlight on Salvadoran culture. And and it was mainly positive Salvadoran culture um, from the perspective of me being in the United States, growing up in the United States, and experiencing my Salvadoran culture through the United States. That was kind of like my main objective, where it was basically, I just want to show people that there are creatives and artists and musicians and etc you know a lot of awesome people doing awesome things under the umbrella of the salvadoran culture that was the main objective yeah and then um you know as things started to open up it just became a lot more than just showcasing specific people that are of the salvadoran culture it was more you know it's cool stuff happening in el salvador um politics uh modernism and it's so many things it's 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 really hard to tell somebody now oh what is salvi raised you know if you were to just go on the instagram a lot of people are like oh it's a meme page it says funny things um about salvadoran culture growing up salvadoran etc but then people get involved they start asking questions they start following the page and then they start to see that it's actually an outlet of information from perspectives of other salvadorans you know there is so many things happening um like artists and musicians and things like that they're like oh this restaurant exists oh there is this chef there is this artist there is so many other things and that's how they realize that it's much more than just you know a a funny account yes so the name salvi rays right do you think that implies that it's more of a salvadoran american perspective um well yes i mean obviously because it's in english um i did really crack my head to what i wanted to name the account in the beginning and um salvi rays just kind of came along very naturally um and it, it's literally it implies what it means you know it's growing up salvadoran whether it's 
here in the United States or in El Salvador or in Canada or wherever part of the world, you know, you grew up being Salvadoran, you know? Well, there is some overlap between, I mean, whatever part of the world you're growing up Salvadoran, but I think that there's like a specific like experience when you grow up Salvadoran in the United States, especially uh -huh. these last 20, 30 years. And I think uh, from when I go on the page, I see a lot of things that remind me of obviously of moments, you know, growing up like me personally and things that I've seen and things that I've said, like even down to the names, you know, those names like uh -huh. like are just on point. Um, but <laughs> but I can't really say that that'll apply to someone who grew up, I guess, in like, you know, Santa Tecla or something. You know what I'm saying? Like there might be some overlap, yes. but like there's like some there's certain things that don't really translate. Um <laughs> True, but true. and have have you seen have you received some sort of like commentary or input from people in Salvador saying like hey it's not really like that actually or hey like I don't um, know um yes but not so much as in a negative content right I get it from my my family members mostly my younger cousins in their twenties and stuff like that um they'll just kind of make a comment you know not directly but just like while we're talking in conversation like oh by the way like you know um we don't really say that in el salvador yeah. you know a good example is um i have this uh, shirt and um i created this shirt a long time ago and it's uh a shirt that says bicha chillona okay i've grown i've grown up using that word here in the United States, mm -hmm. um, my cousins in El Salvador are like, we don't really say Chiona, we say Llorona, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, oh, well, that's news to me. I mean, either way, it's understandable. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of like a good example. It's nothing major like, oh, whatever you're saying about the Salvadoran culture is not true to the Salvadorans living in El Salvador. It's... It's very minimal, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You know, I once ran into um, the filmmaker, the film producer Arturo Menendez, who made um, Malacrianza and La Palabra de Pablo. Are you familiar with his work? Uh, maybe. I'm I'm terrible with names. That's it's one cool. of my terrible well, he's things a, that I have. Well, he's a filmmaker from El Salvador, uh -huh. and uh, I think he moved to the United States uh, not too long ago. And I ran into him at a cafe. And, you know, I had the chance to chat with him a little bit and I just kind of asked him what he was working on. And he said, I'm working on a, on a I, I hope I'm not saying too much right now. I'll try to keep it very vague. But he uh -huh. essentially referred to this project as a Salvi project to, okay. to differentiate that it was coming from an American perspective. And I thought that was very yes. interesting. Like up to that point, like I kind of knew that was a, a term that we use here and not over there, but I didn't know uh -huh. that it was like recognized in El Salvador as like, that's, you know, that's that group of Salvadorans. They're the Salvis. We're Salvadoreños or Salvadoreños, whatever. I, I just uh -huh. thought that was very interesting. What, I, what, what you're saying is that they're in El Salvador that they are recognizing the word Salvi. Is that what you're saying? I don't know if they are actually. I don't know if they are. I, I certainly don't feel that they're adopting it for themselves. Like, right? I mean, I don't. Yeah. But but up to that point, up to that conversation, I, it never really occurred to me 
that the people who do acknowledge it recognize it as a term to identify Salvadoran Americans. Like, I know that's kind of obvious, right? Like, if you uh, think, if yeah. you sit down and think about it, it's pretty obvious, but yeah. it, it just never really hit me like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the term Salvi to me, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I didn't grow up saying Salvi, even when I was in high school and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of caught on to me when, while I was, you know, in my later 20s and things like that. Um, I, I would hear the word or the term and uh, it w- I wouldn't identify with it. Um, but it just it's just like anything else. Once something becomes more common, you just start connecting with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's how I did it. You know, I started connecting with it. I started feeling comfortable saying it, um, you know, kind of saying that maybe in the beginning it was just kind of uh, like a nickname for us, you know, Salvi, instead of trying to say the whole, the whole word Salvadoran or Salvadorian or Salvadorian, whatever people, (laughs) whatever people want to identify with. But I've heard Salvadoranian. I don't know where the fuck uh, that one comes from, but that one hurts me, man. Salvadoranian. (laughs) There's, there's, I mean, um, a really cool story about that. Uh-huh. Uh, a really, a really cool story about that, and I hope he hears this. Um, uh, Luis, not Luis. I'm sorry. Um, again, I'm super terrible with names. Um, My name is Eric. Ulises. Yes, I know your name right, is cool. Eric. But Ulises from Pasitos, super cool dude. Mm-hmm. Super cool dude. Um, when he came out to LA sometime last year, we hung out, right? Yeah. And, you know, we were just kind of hanging out and, uh, you know, uh, I made, I made the comment. I'm like, oh, so how do you say, um, uh, you know, how do you, how do you call Salvadoreños, you know, in, in English, you know? And he said, uh, oh, I say Salvadorian. I'm like, oh, okay. Cause I say Salvadoran. Right. And, um, you know, we were just laughing about it, making jokes. Right just like everybody else. Right, right. And, um, you know, so we kind of got into the, a, a debate about it. Very, very mild debate. It wasn't like something that we went deep into. And what he told me was, and, and I thought it was really cool, actually. Um, he said, whether you call yourself Salvi, Salvadoran, Salvadorian, Salvadorian, well, you know, <laughs> he, he, he basically told me um it's just more words you know to love you know as a community it's just basically what he says you know it's like we have more than just one word to call each other and and it's all love yeah yeah absolutely no one one oh yes that kind of completely changed my mind because in the beginning of all of this and, and again i only do it to really when when i'm bored on 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 instagram or whatever i'll just bring it up and it's just a battle on the on the comments of i say salvadorian i say salvadorian i say salvadorian etc etc you know mm-hmm. and um now that he kind of changed my perspective on it it's like i get it regardless of whether you call yourself salvadorian salvadoran it's just more words you, you know, to, one of the cool to things... To connect with. You know? I, I agree. I mean, no one should really get upset about that. Like, it's just whatever. But 
one of the cool things to me about that whole conversation is when it's reflected in restaurants because it, it's a it's a generational thing. Like if you see, you know, pupuserias from the eighties, they spell it like maybe Salvadorian or or maybe uh -huh. a, with an I or an E. Um, yes. And then as you know, you start looking at restaurants that were um, opened in the late nineties or the two thousands. It's more Salvadoran or or you know. Yes. It, so it's. I think living in LA, that's a really cool thing to yeah. see because there's that tells a story about the culture here. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. There, a lot of things were undefined. Yeah. A lot of things are still undefined, and it's but, it's projected in in simple little things like buseria yeah. sign. Yeah. So the way that an older uh, person described it to me when they started to identify, you know, Salvadorans here in the United States. You know, they obviously you have to come up with a term and to identify people with and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, he said to me, he told me, well, you know, the word is Salvadoran. It's spelled correctly. It's in all of the dictionaries, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's true, right? Um, you know, when you read a book, um, most, most uh, writers all, all, will write it as Salvadoran. Um, but what he told me is the word started to evolve because once, you know, Salvadoreños from El Salvador were, you know, started to kind of become more common here in the United States or more so in Los Angeles, you know, we have an accent. So they were not able to say Salvadoran because they had some sort of an accent, a Salvadoran accent that kind of came off a little bit different, Yeah, you know? So, so the word wouldn't come out as Salvadoran. It would come out as an accent and it, it came out as Salvadorian, you know, kind yeah. of like them trying to say it properly. Yeah, absolutely. That's the story I got. It makes a lot of sense. It could be not true. I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it doesn't bother me if you if you say Salvadoran or Salvadorian. Um, I only really just use that to kind of, you know, create some <laughs> just some fun some fun debates between people and things like that. You know, you grew up in the San Fernando Valley, right? Um, technically, yes. So uh, when I immigrated from El Salvador, I ended up in South Central LA. Mm -hmm. um, what part of South and Central? I was like where in South Central? Uh, I was off of the 110. No, not the... Yeah, the 110 freeway um, off of Maine and San Pedro. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I went to Main Street Elementary School um, from first grade through fourth grade. And my dad felt that it was a little rough in South Central. So That, that was a rough part of, of town. This was yeah. like, uh, yeah. when was this? So, uh, a little background. Um, I, I immigrated from El Salvador in 1988. Okay. And uh, 1989, I was finally here in the United States. And um, I ended up in South Central or South LA as some people call it now right right so i was i i um 1989 south central la off of maine and san pedro 
Um, and then I lived through the LA riots. Um, basically the LA riots were like in my front yard. And then my dad felt that it was a little rough. So 1993, uh, my dad found a house in the San Fernando Valley, to be specific, in San Fernando Mission Hills area. Okay. And uh, 93, we get here. It's such a crazy, it was almost culture shock at that time. So 93, in the valley, um, most of my neighbors were white. Um, a lot of Latino uh, families were moving in. Mm -hmm. A lot of white families were moving out. Um, okay. Uh, I think during that time was uh, we were going through a recession. So that's how my dad was able to get a house that was more affordable okay. here in the valley. Um, so being able to play in the street, rollerblade, skate, run around was was completely foreign to me, you know, um, because I couldn't really do that when I lived in South Central L.A. I could only play like on my driveway um, you know, and I had to ask my mom, hey, I'm going to go to the building next door, you know, yeah. over to play with my friends. Yeah. Um, but when I moved to the valley, it was completely different. It was like, hey, I'm going to ride my bicycle around the block and it's going to be cool and yeah. no problems and stuff like that. So it was like culture shock when I got here for sure. And then <laughs> like we were not even here like a year and then we get the 94 earthquake. And um, oh, in Northridge, in Northridge, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom was like terrified of the valley. She was like, I mean, first of all, she hated the valley when, when, when we moved here, you know? Why? Because of she the weather she, or? I don't know what it was. I think she, you know, because she did come from El Salvador first um, to kind of work and then send money mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, bring us um, from El Salvador. She got used to L.A. Okay. I think it was the, the busyness. You know, everything is right there. Um, you know, when you live in L.A., everything is quick, you know? Yeah. Um, so when we moved to the Valley, it was like quiet, um, white neighbors. Um, we felt porn. We felt weird going to a Denny's. Like, it felt like a sit-down you know, fancy restaurant, and we felt uncomfortable eating there. Mm -hmm. um, that's just how different it was, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we got used to it. And, you know, the valley in the 90s is no longer the valley now. You know, it's the valley is a lot of, a lot of Latino now and a lot of different other cultures. Yeah, especially, but, especially places like San Fernando and Silmar uh -huh. and Pacoima, yeah. which is next door, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, those areas are prominent, you know, pretty, pretty Latino. Um, a lot of Chicanos, a lot of Mexican families. Um, the Valley's really sectional, to be honest with you. Um, you know, like North Hollywood has a lot of Salvadorans. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, like Granada Hills has obviously a lot of like Asian people. And mm -hmm. Northridge is a mixture of like Asian and white people and latinos so it's you know it's very sectional depending on where you're at so what, what high school did you go did you go to high school in the valley uh yes what high school so, did you go to um 
I went to Kennedy High School. Ah, you know. <laughs> Go Cougars. Yeah, right? my two older, well, I have three <laughs> older siblings, and two two of them went to Kennedy, and a ton of my cousins yeah. went to Kennedy. Um, they were bused in? Yeah, this was, yeah, this is when, when the buses would take kids from the hood to the uh-huh. valley. So yeah. uh, there was a lot of, like, Cougar jerseys and shirts. Like, my, yeah. my brother played football there, so... That's very cool, yeah. man. Uh, my nephew yeah. actually, <laughs> my my brother's son actually goes to Kennedy, like uh-huh. so. It's a it's a legacy thing now for for him. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same with us. It's a it's a it's a traditional thing. I don't think my daughter is gonna go through that. But okay, so you you were able to kind of see two different perspectives of growing up um, in two completely different different parts of 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 town i'm going to consider Mm -hmm. the valley town for 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 this for the sake of this conversation um how did that affect your your like salvadorian like culture Uh, because i from my experience growing up in south central i mean the the salvadorian community wasn't really that big yet you know we had a a friend around the block, you know, we had a friend who had a business around the corner, but it wasn't really like a, a big population of Salvadorans in mm-hmm. that part of town Th- that I never felt like that really like hindered my culture. Cause I, again, I've, I have a huge family, but yeah. to some people who don't have a big family that, that may seem like a disadvantage or like a lack of like connection with the culture yeah. growing up. How was your experience? Yeah. Um, Okay. So I've actually talked about this before with someone else and I can give them actually both perspective because when I went to, when I, I always say landed, but when, when I arrived in South LA, South Central LA, um, my experience with other Hispanic Latino um, people there, regardless of whether they were Salvadoran or not, it was the same experience. We all immigrated. There were yeah. there, n- none of them. Well, at least during the time that I was there, almost none of them were natives. You know, they were born there. They went to school there, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of them, a lot to most of them at that time when I was going to school, mm-hmm. um, most of my friends who lived there were all immigrants. Um, then when we moved out of the valley and I arrived here, um, it was completely different. Yes, there was a lot of Latinos that uh, that I grew up here with, mostly Mexicans, but they were all like first generation, second generation Mexicans, um, a lot of Chicanos. A lot of my growing up here in the valley was very influenced by Mexican culture, more so, um, more so Chicano culture, mm-hmm. um, because that's just how it is here in the in this part of the valley, in this part of um, Mission Hill, San Fernando. It's yeah. it's very, it's very old school um, Chicano. Yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. Um, which is a beautiful thing, by the way. Yeah. No, I mean, I I have I, I love it. You know, um, I don't have anything against it. I. Um, growing up, actually, um, I, I absorbed more of that culture more than mine because I didn't have many Salvadoran friends, you know, in my neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, the one Salvadoran friend I had, um, didn't even speak English. Um, 
I connected more with his parents than I did with <laughs> with him because they knew more about Salvadoran culture yeah. than he actually did, you know. Yeah. And um, so that was my experience here growing up in the in this part of the San Fernando Valley, where um, my experience was very, uh, very mixed. A lot of a lot of Mexican culture for sure. What part of uh, El Salvador are you from, or what, what part were you born in? Um, officially, I was born in Apopa, um, but I was basically raised in in two different towns, cities, pueblos, um, Apopa and Hayaque. When you think about Salvadoran entertainment, Salvadoran media, Salvadoran like how we identify like you know like films and 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 like characters like do you feel like a majority of that is comical? I'm going back to this conversation where you said you know growing up Salvadoran is not funny, and some people think that it's a meme page like to that just uh, just cracks jokes. But it's yeah. actually not funny. But uh-huh. I feel like a lot of the connection that this generation has made with the culture has been through jokes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our accent yeah. is funny. The way we express <clears throat> things is kind of funny yeah. sometimes. You know, yeah. um, like, h- how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's something that needs to evolve? Um, do you feel like that's something we need to preserve? Like, how, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I've never really thought about that, to be honest with you. Um, the the purpose of Savvy Raised, at least when I had started, was to be funny. You know, I didn't want to have a political page or have it be so specific or cultural. Well, yes, cultural, but not so not so specific to just one thing, you know. Um, so the best thing that I know was, um, you know, just like a lot of comedians, um, I'm not a comedian at all, uh, but a lot of comedians basically, uh, they take their, some of them had like a really crappy childhood, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll, um, they became comedians by making jokes or kind of making it a little bit funny on how they grew up. Yeah. And that was kind of the the idea mm. of of what I wanted to do with Salvi Raised. Sometimes I'm like, wow, holy crap! Like it it actually applies to a lot of Salvadorans. Yeah, you know, and and I get amazed because it's like, wow, you know, like this is how I feel connected because, again, uh, a Salvadoran kid in the San Fernando Valley don't really have much Salvadoran culture, at least at that time, because I was an immigrant. I couldn't, you know, uh, travel to El Salvador to visit my family. I didn't Mm -hmm. get to go back to El Salvador until I was 20, Mm. believe it or not. You know, I came to the United States at five. I wasn't allowed, you know, per immigration purposes to go back to El Salvador until I was 20. So I literally spent an entire lifetime here, and my real experience as a Salvadoran is only through my family. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so that's that's the only absorption of Salvadoran that I had. So that's why you know when I started this that's a that's a that's a thing that I, I, I believe a lot of people can relate to for uh-huh. for a, a variety of reasons. Um 
you know, for the 90s and maybe the early 2000s, there were a lot of people that didn't want to go back because of fear, because trauma, because there's really nothing there for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, my family's here now. Like, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of resentment. The country let me down. Mm -hmm. Whatever it may be. There's just a variety of things. So, yeah, a lot of the people connected through their family. Me personally, that that was my my um experience i i went the first i went to el salvador the first time when i was um i think i was seven or eight years old mm-hmm. um my uh my i went to visit my mom's side because my dad's side is all here in the united states and my mom's side lives by morasan and it was incredibly mm-hmm. hot I, I couldn't handle the heat it was it was really strange um but i didn't really have that connection that was beautiful i got to meet a lot of my cousins i got to learn yeah. more about my mom and all that but but the yeah. one thing here in the united states the, where i gathered most of my connection with the culture through my family was this one th- was this one this this one approach to life that i saw in all of their eyes and i'm sh- i don't know if i've ever shared this with you but you know, when we would get together and I was a kid and my, my uncles and my and my tias, they would play naipe, they would be pan dulce, there would be coffee all night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The one thing that I always, always gathered and I always felt was this look in their eyes that was like, we're just happy to be here. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is a group yeah. of people who came in trunks, who, who you know, traveled multiple, multiple territories in the worst ways. Mm-hmm. And they were just happy to be here with the little bit that yeah. they had. A pack yeah. of cigarettes, peperechas, and cafe, and we're fucking good. You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah. And I always I always connected that with the Salvadoran culture of positivity, yeah. of like, fuck it, you know, if things are difficult, we're gonna get through it. We stick together yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna keep going. So Yeah. Um that was just you know whatever I digress. But yeah, I think a lot of the connection comes through family and how you are able to experience life through that. Um, to, to lighten up the mood a little bit, have you received any like cool, positive messages through the Salvi Rays account? Like has someone hit you up saying, Hey man, this, this is a really cool thing. Like there's so many things I didn't know, but I'm learning through this. What kind of stuff? All all the time, all the time from different kinds of people and stuff like that. Sometimes I get discouraged, um, you know, cause within the positivity, there's always negativity um there's always the one person who wants to be smarter or clever or wants to talk shit you know um there's always one or two within like the sea of people you know Mm -hmm. um you know within the the sea of like positivity but um uh yes all the time so you know they they tell me you know when, when i get discouraged sometimes you know, I, I, I try to remember these things and people tell me, you know, like, oh, they'll send me messages like, oh, I love your page. It reminds me of my childhood. Um, I forgot about these things and they're all coming back to me. Or some people just find a new a new love for their culture, you know, just how I did. What kind of music are you into? <laughs> I am into almost everything under the sun. No, no, no. But like, really, though, like what? Like, what do you really like play nonstop? Um, like, you really? you have a road trip. You can only listen to one artist. Who are you listening to? No, man, you can't do that. Oh, I'm doing it. It's my podcast. It's hard, dude. That's it's just because. All right, all I right. Mean, m- music. I mean, let me let me explain to you something about because I knew this word. This is gonna come because you are a record company and you're all about it. You know, um, music to me is not what I like. It's it's a mood. It's a feeling. 
And sometimes I feel very inspired. I'm, I'm super Salvadoran. Uh, all I want to do is talk Spanish. So I only want to listen to cumbias, right? That's just my mood at the time, okay. you know? Um, sometimes I'm just like, I'm feeling a little bit sad or whatever. And so I go and listen to some, like, to be specific, we always we always laugh or we always joke around. Um, I'll listen to, like, the Smiths or something, you know? And you, we always you love make Morrissey, fun of that. right? Don't you love Morrissey? Uh, I don't. <laughs> You need you need to stop, man. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. I don't know where. I don't. I don't. You know, this is my take on this. I, uh, <laughs> man, it's it's almost sensitive to some people, but I love the Smiths. Uh huh. You know, I like when it was you know um, the official band. You know, um, uh, when it was Morrissey and the rest. Um, I'm again super terrible with names, yeah. but um. <sighs> Um, as far as the music goes, Morrissey, I don't, I don't care for the later stuff when he, uh, decided to go solo. Um, I have more of a connection with the Smiths, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but then again, uh, as a person, I can care less about Morrissey. He can kiss my ass. I get to man. <laughs> Actually, I personally never really got into Morrissey. I don't, um, I don't know. But uh, so so do you do you like um, do you lean more towards like eighties, like new wave um, stuff? I guess you could say eighties, but eighties is so broad. It is. It but, is. Yeah. But um, my my style of music is it's a little more um post punk, um eighties, new wave, dark wave. You know, to be more specific, um, you know, The Smiths, um, The Cure, Depeche Mode. Um, you know, Susie and the Banshees, you know, stuff like that's a little more darker, I guess, yeah. you know, um, but that's kind of like my style. What's been um, your most memorable and, concert? Like, uh, that you've ever been to? Uh, like a Morrissey concert, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> my most memorable concert, and it was because it was my official first concert. Um, I had been to other concerts before, but I feel like this was the one that I wanted to go and I bought tickets to. And I was in my prime teenagehood and it was just like, nope, this is my band. Um, was uh, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, oh, when where? They at the, when, when they play at the forum. Oh, my gosh. And it was, uh, this was when their... Um, Battle of Los Angeles came out. I fucking love that album, man. So they were very much kind of touring for that album. So um, two experiences, actually, fucking coolest experiences of my life during that same period was um, first going to the concert, uh, Rage Against the Machine. Um, I fucking I had like the most shittiest seats. I, I'll show you pictures one day. <laughs> Um, I have pictures. Um, I was that person <laughs> with a <laughs> with a little shitty camera, a disposable um, one, or a, yeah, a disposable yeah, one. That's great. And it was like from the nosebleeds, and but I was there, you and I felt it. I fucking loved it, dude. And that's um, awesome. But then shortly after that, a friend of mine, um, she was a huge Rage Against the Machine fan. Goes, I think it was on K Rock. Um, they were K Rock was doing um, a private show, 
at the Roxy. Um, and uh, at the time, uh, at the drive-in was a brand new thing. And yeah. I fell, I, I instantly fell in love with at the drive-in when they came out. Yeah. Um, yes. So my friend uh, calls K-Rock, you know, wins tickets to this private show. And it was a private show. Um, all, all she knew was that it was going to be uh, Rage Against the Machine performing privately for um, at the Roxy for like a, a, a the whatever capacity is yeah. for the Roxy. Yeah. And um, yeah, so then uh, cool part was that, you know, the, the opening band was at the drive-in and I fucking loved their performance so much more than Rage Against the Machine because they were just like these crazy ass crackheads, you yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. they were on probably too many drugs and just going off. They were like swinging the fucking mic, kicking everybody's ass with it, you know, and it was just so raw and it was so energetic. And that was probably the the two most, ex- most memorable experiences, you know, that's super cool. Um, that's super. Yeah. Super cool. And then I have like cool pictures of like Sac de la Rocha's like nose. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> That's how close I was to the stage. I love the Roxy. I've had some pretty cool experiences at the Roxy. I um, yeah. I once went to go see a friend's band at the Roxy, and they announced the day before—I mean, the day of—that there was going to be a special guest headliner, and yeah. no one knew who it was, right? And we didn't think it was going to be anyone super famous, but it ended up being Audio Slave. And I have to be honest with you, I was like not too excited. <laughs> Look, it was super cool to be really close to Tom Morello. I'll tell you that. Ah, uh, yeah. But um, but I was like, I don't know. I was like, what the fuck? But um, no disrespect, you know. But rest in peace, Chris no. Cornell, for sure. Of course. Um, of course. You're you're a DJ, right? Fucking God. You DJ? Huh? Or just for you fun? You want to know what my? <laughs> you want to know what my DJ name is? <laughs> yeah. What is it? My DJ name is Caesar Don't DJ. Caesar Don't DJ. That's pretty cool. You know why? Because when I started to DJ, and I never became an official DJ, I never got turntables or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really enjoyed playing music, and really, I just really enjoyed playing the music that I wanted to dance to. Mm. Um, so um, one day. I forget, like, like a friend of mine was probably like clowning me or something. And uh, my friend's like, please don't DJ, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I got stuck with the name. That's hilarious. Which kind of felt right because uh, I'm not a DJ. I don't really DJ anymore. I used to DJ a lot more. Um, but even back then, I felt like a much worse DJ. But funny enough is, um, with the lack of experience as a DJ and the lack of equipment and things like that, I was still hired to really DJ some places. And I'm like, holy crap. And it was only because I was able to have a really good playlist and I really knew how to read the crowd. Mm. You know, yeah, so I yeah. played at the conga room um, when they used to have like bands play there i played at the i played at the um it doesn't exist anymore what is it called the house of blues on sunset um 
yes, on Sunset. Wait, hold and the fuck is, on. Hold the fuck on. You're gonna you're trying to tell me you're not a DJ, but you DJed at the House of Blues. You DJed uh-huh. at the Congo Room. Uh huh. What the fuck? You're a, you you DJ. You you DJ. Yes, but this is what separates me from even calling myself a DJ. I hold DJs to a high standard. I'm one of those, I guess, snobs. Right? Okay. It's like if you're not using turntables, if you're not, you know, um, you know, blending and switching albums and stuff. I mean. I, I even give respect to the, the the DJs who don't really use records anymore, right? Um, but just that 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 technique to using two turntables. Like you're a purist, and, so you um, don't, you don't respect exactly. Spotify DJs, is what you're saying? Uh, I mean, it's not that I don't respect them. It's just that's just my take on on DJs. You know, it's okay. like the, the the form of DJing is you have two turntables and your mixer, and you blend two songs together that's just kind of like the the essence of djs Mm -hmm. right as things progressed things became more digitalized and it became a little bit easier to dj where you would just press a button and it would blend the song for you yeah yeah, and then people were like holy crap that was fucking cool that was me that person was me so when i started djing you know the, the the whole craze of of virtual DJ was a big thing. So many DJs jumped on it. Um, that's how a lot of DJs got used to becoming DJs, you know, because they learned from it. And I did too. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a it's a cool um, uh, setup. It's a cool little program to, to start to DJ. And the biggest thing about virtual DJ is the sync button. The sync button really is what blends the songs together so if you know your songs and you know that the rpms are at the right timing or the songs go well together that sync button is gonna like make your transition just like so smoothly and nobody's gonna even notice and they're gonna think like you're the fucking best dj ever do you use uh do you use spotify I use Apple Music. Does Apple Music show you the biggest markets for artists on the platform? Um, I'm sure it does. I don't really dive into it so much. Okay. Guess what city and country streams Interpol the most in the world? City and country? Yeah, or you can just go country if it's if it's difficult. <laughs> um Jesus. Uh let me see. I want to say um Japan? No. According to Spotify. I only Spotify, say that because uh-huh. I only say, oh no, wait, hold on. Um, let me let me guess again. Mexico City. Correct. That is correct. Yep. Yep. I knew it. That is correct. Yeah. I didn't even know why I didn't say Mexico City. Mexico City. Mexico City, dude, I have never met more fans of anything than the Mexico City. Or just in general, Mexico, but I want to specify Mexico City. Yeah. Um, of anything, really. Yeah. If, if it's a band, they are about it, right? Yeah. Especially the bigger bands. So the, the top three mega bands of fanatics in Mexico City, um, and these are just mega bands, right? Um, is Depeche Mode. Uh-huh. Obviously obviously morrissey the smith right, right, morrissey right, right. um and interpol and then 
and then it's uh, and then it's the strokes and then whatever you know um according to spotify number one market for all of those bands you just named mexico city yeah yes yes mexico city greatest greatest experience of my life was and i've never done this in my life the and strokes mexico to... city sorry to cut you off but the strokes also uh-huh. mexico city yeah uh what were you saying an experience in your life uh, no, best experience of my life was that um, this was last year. Yes, it was last year. Um, decided as as a group of friends, since we, um, again, more my ex-wife and her friends are huge, huge fans of Depeche Mode, right? I love Depeche Mode. Cool ass band. I love them, right? Um, not a fanatic like they are. So we all went as a group to Mexico City to go see them at, at um, perform at the Stadio Azteca, which is wow. the biggest uh, stadio soccer stadium there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a band. And then Ray Pila, a cool, you should listen to Ray Pila. Um, another cool, they opened up for Depeche Mode. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, going to Mexico City, right? It was almost scary how excited the people were, right? Um, they were literally like talking shit to the police because they wouldn't <laughs> let them in fast enough. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think Mexico City is like probably like the only place where they'll get away with like talking shit, like mad shit to the police. Beside the point. Um Yes, so I was there. The literally the entire stadium, it holds I want to say like seventy five, eighty thousand people. It was just packed, 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 sold out tickets. Um, right, just for the Pesh mode. And and I mind you, this was like the 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 floor, or the stadium where they where they do the sports. You know the field. Yeah, yeah. Um was full wow like packed right and then every seat on the stadium packed um following week um it's the biggest uh, music festival that mexico has which is viva latino viva latino is just known for having like the big bands too right so at that that year was like morrissey and i think it was interpol and the strokes um right I saw pictures of it Mm -hmm. and not as full as for the Pesh mode. Because I would see pictures. I'm like, there's so much seating. Everybody was on the field. Um, And I'm like, and this is for a bunch of bands altogether. Yeah, yeah. Probably more expensive though, right? Maybe. But what I'm saying is everybody showed up for the Pesh mode. Yeah. Not a lot of people... I mean, a lot of people were there for Viva Latino. It's a huge. It's like their Coachella. Um, but, but yes, not as much. That yeah. was yeah. that was my experience where I'm like, wow, dude. Like I was a part of something, dude, and it was like spiritual. I was like, wow. Best customer cool. service in a crowd. If if you ever go, to, I mean, there is no concert I will ever go to ever again and sit in a pit and love it. That never, never, never after being in Mexico City in a pit full of like thousands of people 
and still feel comfortable. Like I'm typically really uncomfortable being in a group of people, yeah. especially at a concert. Cause I feel like suffocated and stuff like that. Um, the concert here, it's like, okay, you just have to stay still and watch the band and you might have some asshole next to you because you're flaring, flaring your arms yeah, yeah, or some yeah. douchebag in front of you because he wants to record the whole concert with mm-hmm, his phone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you just feel uncomfortable. When I was there, I, it was like, cool, I need to go to the bathroom. Everybody would move out of the way for you. It's so friendly. It was like so, so welcoming. And then just coming back in was like, yeah, cool. Let me move out of your way. You know, like. Nobody was selfish about it. Yeah, that would never and then here. even then it was like cool the 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 people selling beer, man, hands down. I didn't never had to move from my spot to go get a beer. It was like I would just raise my hand, they'd come running to you. You know? That's awesome. I was like, man, this is the best customer service inside of a pit at a concert. That's like incredible. you won't even get that. You won't even get that at the Roxy with less people and even going to the bar was like, it's even like a hassle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, yeah. that's my take on music. So you, you're, you're a father, you have a daughter and yes. you have this passion for music and you have like, you know, the things that you love, the things that you cherish, like how much of an influence are you on your daughter when it comes to music and the things that they like? Are you like, like handing her down music or, or like playing, you know, Interpol for her or like, how yeah. does that go? Uh, first and foremost, music, second art. And lastly, just an education in whatever it is that she chooses to want to have a career at. Do you want so, your daughter to go to college? Uh, yes. But I mean, um, I'm also very much the type that it's like, you are an independent person and if you have a good plan um personal plan then i'm going to support that but Mm. school is important to me um as to a lot of people but my take on school is go to school for something that you're passionate about don't go to school for something that i think that you should go to school for i think that's the number one thing that a lot of parents do um, is they discourage their kids from choosing what they should do. I think, you know? I think my parents thought I was fucking insane that I wanted to study anything related to the music industry during a yeah. time where the music industry was collapsed. Yeah. Like internet streaming or downloading had just uh-huh. destroyed the industry and here i am yeah. wanting to i want to go into this field and yeah. they were like are you sure like <laughs> like there's my like take, uh-huh. my take on my take on the music industry it's it's almost very similar to my take on the medical field um th- there will never be a lack of sick people so we definitely need the medical field in whatever area that you go into, you're going to succeed. I, I feel the same way about the music industry in, in the sense of no matter what happens to the world, people are going to want music, period, period. We can't live without it. And you don't have to be a music fanatic. You don't have to be specific to bands or specific to a certain genre of music. 
It's just your life cannot exist without music, period. So if you choose to take a career in, in music, um, obviously research, because you can't just be like, well, I'm going to be a, a musician and then you're just a crappy musician, you know? There's just so many things within the music industry that you can be a part of. Um, the difference is that it's much easier to get into the medical field uh, while you pick something within the large field of things that you could do within the medical field. And then in the music industry, I feel like it's a little bit tougher in the sense of um, that not, not anybody can be a part of it. Because you have to know. You get you get saying? Does it make sense? I say fuck the gatekeepers in this music industry, personally. Like, I think too many people want to hold on to this power. And, I, you know, and we know who they are. And I say fuck them. Like, that whole narrative, yeah. not everyone can get a job. I think it's bullshit. I think it's people. It is. I think it's a nepotism of the racist kind. I'll say it out loud. And... It, it's just fucked up like like yeah i, I think it's I bullshit i never I um i have you know i have my thoughts on that and i think that yes. like that shit has to end like no one should go into no music lover who wants to pursue a career in music should feel as if like fuck like i may not get a job like then no, fuck that you know what i'm saying like i, I hear you I, I i hear what you mean and yes that makes that makes a lot of sense I mean, and but even then, um, uh, you know wh what's cool about technology now, and um, it almost makes me a little bit upset that some people take it this way. Um, you know, when when they talk about the the um, the SoundCloud rappers or the SoundCloud whatever, you know, yeah. and a lot of people have come out of that, right? Absolutely. Um, in their own grounds, meaning like, hey, look, the music industry doesn't want to hear my shit. Um, here is a platform where I can put my music and uh, I don't really have to have a lot of money and I can have a lot of people listen and kind of self-publishing your own music and stuff like that, you know, and that's the beauty of, you know, music. It's like the, the way that evolved is like, I'm sure somebody was like, look, I'm tired of the music industry not listening to my music. So here's this thing that I'm going to create for people to put their music on. See, the thing so is, people can, the thing is this, you know? when people say the music industry, I feel like we think of fucking corner office and C-suites and like people in a, in a high rise. Like the music yeah. industry is fucking everyone. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Like. Uh -huh. This is a huge, enormous pie. Like, yeah. like, if you just get a little piece of the fucking crust, you're good. You know what I'm saying? Don't, you know, yeah. like, I think it's unfortunate that primarily people of color have to think of this as, like, the music industry is a set of people who determine my success. Like, I, exactly. like no, no, no. We're not in that time anymore. Like, uh, you can determine your own success in this industry, and it's just going to be harder it's going to take a lot more work. It's going to take some research. It's going to take a team. But along with that comes responsibility and accountability and being realistic with yourself. So there's a lot that goes yeah. into it. But I, I you know, I, I don't want to continue to say the music industry won't listen to my music. It's like, fuck them. You know, they, they don't have the ear for it. Like, you create what's good and they will come. Yeah. But whatever. 
No, I, I agree. I agree 100%. Hey, you were a uh, band manager, weren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was. How was that? <laughs> I I did a lot of things in my in my time. But yeah, um so like I said, music is probably my number one thing. And um in my 20s when I had more I guess energy, I I feel. Um and because I was so passionate about music, um I was two things. I was a band manager and a band promoter. Um, oh, and also I, I was a photographer for bands, right? Okay. It, they all came, came hand in hand. Okay. Um, so, yes, I would. I managed, uh, I think officially I managed three bands that made it not big, but at least to a point where they no longer needed me. Right? What bands were those? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, they're, they're local bands. So there was this band called, um, they were first, they're, they're from the Valley here, specifically from the Silmar San Fernando area. Okay. Uh, they were called at the time, the Rowdies, right? Okay. They were very, very big on uh, the indie scene. So uh, to be specific, uh, they were super huge Strokes fans. And a lot of their music reflected that, right? Okay. Um, they didn't play Strokes music or anything, but it was that, that indie sound. Okay, okay. You know, when, when they talk about, like, the indie scene, it was, like, that indie sound, you know? Um, then they later on uh, switched their name to rolling radio i i never understood that or the meaning but whatever <laughs> that was their that was their thing but they changed their name once they officially got a manager that was actually getting them uh real real uh gigs okay you know playing at the house of blues and playing at other venues getting paid um going on little tours and stuff like that um that was all short-lived through them um, I think it was just a band issue. They were having like inner issues opposed to being a band, you know? Yeah. And then I managed, um, <clears throat> there was this hip hop artist who I was managing for a little while. And I, I, I grew out of that Yo. because um, I was just not so, involved in like the whole hip-hop movement hip-hop is hard to manage in la yeah it's yeah and it's and it's it, it's hard and it's also like even when you're getting paid the show sucks. uh what 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 made you want to manage i mean i'm just a, a a music fan so managing wasn't like a a thing that i said i wanted to do it was like you know, it was just kind of like, man, I'm in the mood to listen to some bands. And then I couldn't find any bands to go listen to or there was no events at that time or, um, you know, so I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do my own. So I started yeah. doing I started doing events first and through doing these events so often, I started to work with a lot of the same bands and when I say events, it was it was uh, it was always like at first it was like an art show, and 
the entertainment was going to be bands, right? Okay. So I, I used to do a lot of art shows so I can, it was, it was always with a purpose because I was a photographer. I still am, but, um, I was a lot more actively working as a photographer. Then, um, I wanted to showcase my artwork. So it's like, well, okay, I'm, I don't, there's no art shows coming up or anything like that. So let me put on my own art show. So I grab a bunch of friends who are artists and I would be like, hey, are you guys interested in doing an art show? I can't pay you guys, but whatever, you know, you guys can like sneak in some booze and have a good time or whatever, you know. And then it was the same thing with bands where it's like, hey, I'm having this art show. Um, are you guys interested in performing? I can't pay you guys, but, you know, you can bring whoever you want and you can have like a, a good set you know, at whatever time you want it, yeah, you know? Yeah. And a lot of the time they're like, yeah, because we were friends also, we were, we, I wasn't just randomly calling random bands. I, I was friends with a lot of these people and, um, it was like, yeah, I'm down, dude. Of course. I love your shows, et cetera, et cetera. They always had a good time, you know? And that was my main objective, um, is to always have a good time. Yeah. Do you go to um, local shows? Uh, well, not right now, but when things were not in COVID, would you go to local, check out local bands? Yes, I still do. I mean, that's a part of me forever, you know? And what do you the see? Last local, the last local show that I went to, and I thought it was the coolest thing because I've never been to anything like that, was one of my really good, well, she became a really good friend of mine um, after I met her randomly at a at a show that she was performing at and um her name is lily lily flor from oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, i know who that is yeah you know who she is right uh, it's, i yeah. think her her group is called lily flor and los compas yeah i met her through maria blues when we were filming something for our indiegogo campaign yeah and she brought yeah she brought yeah. lily flor over cool 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 as she's like the downest like savvy girl I've ever met in my life. I'm like, yeah. you, she will not let you like, she won't ever like, if you talk shit to her, she will like step up to you. Like she is not <laughs> one of those to fuck with, you yeah, know? She's cool. Um, so anyways, uh, I, uh, make friends with her and she invites me to one of these, uh, an event. Cause I, I would constantly ask like, Hey, let me go check you out again at another show. Uh, whenever you guys are performing, right? And she told me, yeah, okay, cool. We have a show in Boyle Heights, I believe. The very last show that I I went to before the whole COVID thing was in Boyle Heights at this tiny little record store called... Uh, Sonido del Valle? Huh? Is it Sonido del Valle? Yes, Sonido del Valle. Yeah. Never heard of the record store. Um I even thought it was like a Valley record store. I'm like Sonido del Valle because you don't connect East LA with the Valley. Right. Right. You know? Right. So uh, the record store is called Sonido del Valle, tiny little place. Um, but like right in front of the shop on the sidewalk, they had a whole thing and it was cool. I was like, man, this is freaking cool. I even, I even ended up getting like a, like a parking ticket. 
Oh, yeah, parking but... is tough around there. <laughs> yeah, parking is yeah. tough around there. Yeah. I ended up getting a parking ticket, but whatever. It was a cool place. Um, a lot of like a lot of popular people in the music scene in LA like showed up and I'm like, oh man, this is popular, you know, like to come to a sidewalk gig mm-hmm. and, and, and it wasn't people that were going to be performing. It was just like, they just showed up, you know, I'm like, man, this is cool. You know? Yeah. I think that there's a lot of cool things happening in Boyle Heights and just East LA in general I mean, I mean, that have yeah. been happening. Let me correct myself that have been happening. But I think yeah. this this generation is super cool, yeah, and is uh, taking control of a lot of things. Uh, so. Yeah, I I I don't really frequent East LA. Um, I'm very unfamiliar with East LA, um, not for any specific reason. I just never really went out there, right? Um, until I started to meet a, a certain uh, group of people, and they were telling me about East LA or Boyle Heights and stuff like that. I'm like, oh man, that sounds that stuff sounds cool, you know. And when I started to go, I'm just like, man, this is it, you know. Like, this is this is art in its purest form, you know. It's unfiltered. Yeah. It's 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 not um, commercialized. It's nothing but just raw art, raw music, like coming out of these places, you know. Like, they, these kids don't have any managers or they're not famous they're they're probably popular within like the community or within Mm -hmm. their own group of friends Mm -hmm. but that's what i love you know that it's untouched yeah it's untouched and this is why it becomes fun and becomes cool and more people want to come out and see it you know and unfortunately that's just how like the nature of things go something becomes popular more people want to come out and be a part of it so then you have like the people that start to move into the neighborhoods because they want to feel a part of the community because of a certain essence of style of music or art or whatever, you know, that's going on in that neighborhood. And then obviously things start to get filtered and you know what happens, you know, I don't want to specify it but you know where i'm where no no, I'm no i know exactly what you're talking about and i think boyle heights has yeah. been targeted for the last couple of years um, yeah but i think they've done a really good job at at rejecting it so you know the so, oh yeah so no that's super cool um a good friend of mine lives out in east la and she tells me the stories and it's true you do not fuck with east la period and it's nothing about it being negative or it being like uh violent or anything like that it's just like east la people love east la and they do not want it to be changed they want it to be the way that it is um and to still stay family owned Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, they still mm -hmm. want it to stay east la yeah you know They, they don't really want anything else to come in and start changing it because once you start changing it or if you start allowing it to change then you lose you lose the neighborhood you lose the lifestyle you lose the essence of 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 what it is and honestly i think east la is like it's almost its own little country you know it's nothing like anywhere else in la absolutely the food tastes different the people treat you differently the roads are built differently it's uh and yeah you know there's generations of families there that have stories and stories to tell 
So, yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, and I love them. I mean, my friend, she lives right off of this really famous street called, like, Fol- uh, Folsom or Wholesome. Yeah, yeah, Folsom. Uh-huh. Alley. It's like this super famous alley. It's been in all of the movies, all of the East L.A. movies and stuff like that. You know, and she tells me stories. I'm like, man, that's crazy. And just like, just seeing it, it's like you can feel the 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 culture. You can feel the history. You know, just just driving around East LA. Period. You know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think that wraps it up, man. I really do appreciate you coming on here and chatting for a bit. I um. I think we, we, we talked about a lot. I think there's some things I didn't know about you. I've always wanted to ask you about the music management thing. So it's really cool to learn more about that. Um, yeah. I think we kind of got off of the Salvi raid, Salvi culture thing and moved on to something else, which, which is cool. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm not only, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm different things and Salvi race is a part of me. It's a part of my culture and my upbringing, but, we're all individuals. We're all different. We all have our own unique things that we want to experience, you know, outside of our own culture, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think I, I yeah, I mean, yeah, I am Salvadoran, but I don't want to be seen as just a Salvadoran person. Like, exactly. I, you know, exactly. much more, but, um, but yeah, man, thank you so much. Uh, I do appreciate it. Um, I hope you have a great, great weekend. And, uh, Cheers, man. Have a cold one for me. All right, for sure. Thank you for having me on. For new music, upcoming events, and Normandy Records merchandise, visit our website at normandyrecords.com. Thanks for listening to the Normandy Records podcast.